This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. America's President Joe Biden announced nearly $3 billion of military assistance to Ukraine on its Independence Day, which coincides with the six-month anniversary of Russia's invasion. The muted celebrations were marred by a Russian rocket strike on a railway station that killed at least 22 people and injured dozens more. Earlier, Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, had warned of, quote, hideous Russian provocations ahead of the national holiday. Mr. Biden also announced significant student debt relief. The plan will see up to $10,000 of student loan debt canceled for those who earn less than $125,000 a year, and even greater help for those who received federal student aid during their education. The announcement follows months of political wrangling. Senate Republicans accused Mr. Biden of, quote, passing the buck to working-class Americans. Japan's Prime Minister, Kishida Fumio, said on Wednesday that his country will consider building a new generation of nuclear power reactors as it prepares to restart plants left idle since the Fukushima disaster of 2011. The global surge in energy prices helped prompt an about-face. There remains work to be done, Mr. Kishida implied, in convincing the public that this counts towards Japan's, quote, green transformation. California is expected to ban the sale of petrol cars in a move that could accelerate the transition to electric vehicles. The California Air Resources Board said that 100% of cars sold in the state, America's largest car market, will have to be zero emissions by 2035, up from 12% today. Last week, President Joe Biden signed a new climate law that earmarks $370 billion for green energy projects. Thailand's Constitutional Court suspended the Prime Minister, Prayuth Chanocha, in response to a petition filed by the main opposition party. Move Forward argues that Mr. Prayuth, who seized power in a coup in 2014, should step down this month in line with the Constitution's eight-year term limit. The Deputy Prime Minister, Prawit Wangsuan, is expected to take over as interim leader. A general election is due by May 2023. An EU agency warned on Tuesday that Europe faces its worst drought in 500 years. The European Drought Observatory said that 47% of the Union's landmass is subject to the warning, with vegetation affected in 17%. Riverine shipping, hydropower and agriculture are all under strain. Concomitant droughts in America, Britain and China mean that international markets offer little relief. Fighting erupted in northern Ethiopia between rebels from the Tigray region and central government forces, ending a five-month-long ceasefire and dampening hopes for peace talk in the country's ongoing civil war. The conflict between the Tigray People's Liberation Front, which controls the region, and Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed's government has killed thousands and displaced millions since it began in 2020. And fact of the day, $15 billion. The value of direct investment foreigners pulled out of Russia in the first quarter of 2022, easily the worst figure on record. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago Headache Donald Trump decried the FBI raid on his Mar-a-Lago home on August 8th as an unjustified political assault. The Bureau has so far been tight-lipped on its motivations, 
but its rationale for the seizure of classified records from Mr. Trump's Palm Beach estate may soon be divulged. A judge in Florida, Bruce Reinhardt, could rule as soon as Thursday on whether to unseal a redacted version of the Justice Department's affidavit that enabled the search. Mr. Trump has demanded the unsealing of the full document, but his lawyers filed no such motion in court. Government officials warn that releasing the unredacted affidavit could sabotage their probe into the former president's handling of government records. Last week, Mr. Reinhardt gave the Justice Department seven days to redact it to their liking, signaling that at least part of the document might see the light of day. But negotiations between the court and the government about exactly what to publish could yet postpone the unveiling. Misery by Design in Myanmar Five years ago, the Burmese army forced nearly 750,000 Rohingyas to leave Myanmar amid intense violence. The UN branded the army's campaign of mass killing, rape, and arson a genocide, but no punishments followed. Most of the expelled Rohingyas are now languishing in Bangladesh, in the world's biggest refugee camp. On Thursday, human rights groups will mark Rohingya Remembrance Day. But around 600,000 remain in Myanmar. Many are confined to what Fortify Rights, an American pressure group based in Southeast Asia, calls modern concentration camps. Conditions are squalid, structures unsound, and access to health care scant. Their plight has become ever more dire since the army toppled the government of Aung San Suu Kyi, the de facto leader, last year. They are denied access to education and paid work. The military junta has blocked international aid agencies from visiting Rohingya camps and villages. No matter which side of the border Rohingyas find themselves on, their experience is comparable. Hunger and misery surrounded by barbed wire. Australia prepares to try an alleged Chinese agent. In 2018, Australia infuriated China by rushing through sweeping laws to prevent foreign meddling in its democracy. On Thursday, the only man so far to be accused of breaching them appears before a court in Victoria. In 2020, Di San Dong, a 67-year-old Australian of Chinese heritage, made a 37,000 Australian dollar, 25,500 US dollar donation to a hospital in Melbourne. Prosecutors allege that he was seeking to gain favor with Alan Tudge, an up-and-coming federal minister who he invited for the handing over of the check on behalf of the Chinese Communist Party. Mr. Dong's lawyer said the donation was a bid to improve the public image of Chinese people in Australia. On trial is not only Mr. Dong, but the new laws themselves. Mr. Dong is accused of preparing for or planning interference. The prosecution has used evidence of his links to the Chinese government to build its case. But criminalizing contacts and intent, rather than action, is a troubling idea for many lawyers.
Moving Markets in Wyoming In the shadow of the majestic Teton mountain range, just over 100 central bankers and economists from around the world are gathering at a lodge in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Their idyllic retreat, which starts on Thursday, is not all late summer's calm. The comments of attendees can shake global markets. The main event at the three-day economic symposium will be a speech by Jerome Powell, chairman of the Federal Reserve, on Friday. After softer inflation data in America last month, many investors thought the Fed might relax its hawkish stance. They piled back into stocks, fueling a month-long rally. Mr. Powell has a chance to recalibrate expectations with his speech. He may choose to signal that the Fed's campaign to crush inflation is far from over. That possibility has already rattled markets, with leading indices taking a tumble this week. The descent from high inflation looks a little like the jagged path down the Teton Peaks. France seeks to befriend Algeria. Sixty years ago, Algeria won independence from France after a bloody eight-year war. This painful history renders the link between the two countries complicated even today. So a three-day visit from Emmanuel Macron to the North African country, which begins on Thursday, have been optimistically billed as one of friendship. France's president hopes to use his first foray to Algeria in five years to forge closer links between businesses, startups, and artists. But first, Mr. Macron hopes to soothe memories after decades marked by mutual suspicion and accusations. Relations soured last year when Mr. Macron reportedly questioned Algeria's pre-colonial existence as a nation. But he has taken steps to acknowledge France's role in certain historical atrocities and set up a Memories and Truth Commission on his country's historical role in Algeria. Now there are new questions, including how to source more natural gas from resource-rich Algeria and how to ease recently tightened rules for Algerians to obtain French visas. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Thursday. Which 1877 novel by Anna Sewell is considered a classic of children's literature? Wednesday. Who was the British Foreign Secretary during the invasion of Iraq in 2003? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Althea Gibson. No matter what accomplishments you make, somebody helped you. That's the world in brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. 
Just download The Economist app to start listening.